0: Hello everybody, my name is Wendy Holden and I'm a British author and former war correspondent with more than 30 books published in a writing career spanning four decades. My speciality these days is writing about inspirational and life-enhancing people in the hope that their stories will inspire others. Today I'll be repeating a podcast I made for Life Lessons Festival which celebrates big ideas to change the world. Life Lessons have asked me five questions about the human instinct for survival, about which I have learned a great deal, not least in those moments when I myself was in extreme danger and had to make moment-by-moment decisions that I hoped would keep me alive. Here are the questions, and here are my answers. Question 1. Your new book, Born Survivors, tells the story of three incredible pregnant women who fought to survive in Nazi concentration camps during the Second World War. Tell us more. Yes, this month sees the publication of a special commemorative copy of Born Survivors to mark the 75th anniversary of the end of the Second World War. Already published in 22 countries and translated into 16 languages, This book is the most important I shall ever write. I think it has struck such a chord with readers because it allows them to follow the stories of three hopeful young Jewish women who had everything to live for before the war. It takes the reader from their idyllic lives with loving families in rural Czechoslovakia and Poland through the sudden tragedy and unspeakable cruelty of the Holocaust and out the other side when they emerge weighing just five stone, widowed, destitute and closed to death, with tiny three-pound babies to care for. These are remarkable stories of courage and compassion, in which the pregnant women were saved by the kindness of strangers. We can't possibly identify with six million dead, but we can identify with three young mothers, and their story is full of inspiration and hope. I came across them by chance in 2013 when I read an obituary of a woman pregnant in Auschwitz whose baby had been taken away and killed. I'd never before come across anything that told what happened to the thousands of pregnant women in the Holocaust and was staggered to discover that nothing had been written. This led me to Eva Clark in Cambridge, England. After an emotional day together, I asked if she would allow me the honour of writing her late mother's story and she reached out and touched my arm and said, I've been waiting for you for almost 70 years. I thought she was the only surviving baby but then she told me of two other babies whose mothers had shared the same hellish journey from their homes and ghettos through Auschwitz and onto slave labour who had also survived. They have since become what I call siblings of the heart, and so I decided to encompass all three stories in one volume that would span the war and chronicle the attempted destruction of Europe's Jews through the eyes of these three women. All three mothers lived well into their eighties and nineties, but had sadly died before I came upon their stories. But through Eva I was lucky enough to make contact with the other surviving babies, all 75 years old this month, who have helped me in every possible way. They provided me with the kind of detailed information that really brought the book to life, and they pointed me towards video testimonies, photographs, artifacts, and archives that fleshed out each biography. I traveled to each country involved and to all of the mother's graves, including one in Tennessee, and to each of the key places where they'd been incarcerated in Poland, Germany, and Austria. The more I learned about them, the more I liked these beautiful, articulate, intelligent young women who had happy lives, full of promise. They were the kind of women I'd have loved as friends. Perhaps best of all, their children became my dearest friends and have now named me their honorary sibling, which makes me very proud. It is a great sadness to us all that this weekend... May 8, we would have been reunited in the concentration camp in Austria where they were liberated, an event that has of course been cancelled because of the pandemic. We can only hope that it is a postponement and that we will all be back there soon at the invitation of the President of Austria who, five years ago, presented them with a huge birthday cake and sang to them as we chuckled to ourselves quietly and wondered what on earth their mothers would have thought. One of the questions we are most often asked as we travel the world together and separately to talk about this book is did the mothers survive the horrors they endured because they were determined to live for the sake of their unborn babies? The answer to this is not straightforward. Yes, maternal determination may of course have played a part in the powerful human instinct to survive, but the mothers themselves would all say that millions of others had the same instincts but didn't make it and that these three survived largely because of luck. It was luck that they weren't sent to Auschwitz from their homes and ghettos until 1944, by which time the Germans desperately needed prisoners for slave labour. It was luck that they were each only two months pregnant at the time, and not yet showing. It was luck that the factory where they were enslaved making airplane parts wasn't bombed by the Allies, even though it was so close to Dresden. Luck meant that their SS commandant decided to evacuate them the day after the first baby was born, but that the camp he was planning to send them to for execution, Buchenwald, was liberated two days later, and so on. Luck continued to play a part right to their final days in captivity, when each of them was closer to death than they had ever been, and was saved by the decision of one young American sergeant, to defy orders and find out what was happening in their camp at the top of the hill. Had he done as he was told and bypassed Marthausen, then they and their babies are unlikely to have survived. Question 2. Through the lives of these women and their children, you've depicted a capacity to love amid inconceivable cruelty. What do you think we can learn from this deep human instinct? Having written many books about people's wartime experiences and from experiencing war myself, it seems to me that the darker the days, the more we crave light. Think about our current circumstances, for example, with this pandemic lockdown and the cruelty of losing loved ones whilst unable to be with them, or the constant fear that we or people we know might die from this. What is emerging from all this gloom and worry and despair is an incredible amount of love, kindness and compassion. Human beings are caring for each other in ways they wouldn't have imagined possible before, putting their own lives on the line to look after vulnerable strangers. Neighbours are talking to neighbours they barely knew. Ordinary people are helping out or raising money for charities in imaginative and life-enhancing ways. Millions of us are standing on our doorsteps once a week to tearfully applaud those on the front line. This deep human instinct to love, to care for, to put others before ourselves is in our DNA. And I have often found that sometimes it takes enormous tragedy, cruelty, or fear to bring it bubbling to the surface. The best part, I hope, is that when the pandemic is over, we can all learn from the experience to the betterment of society. Many of those affected by this have never suffered any disaster, tragedy or fear in their lives and they've now been faced with a worst-case scenario and discovered something in themselves and others. Love is what lies at the heart of all the good things that happen during difficult times. The love of a parent for a child who's struggling with homeschooling. The love of a child for a parent or grandparent who has to self-isolation is suddenly dependent upon them the love of a doctor, nurse or health worker for their calling and their need to care for others, sometimes right to the end when no one else can be there, the love of a 100-year-old man who pushed himself beyond anything he thought capable of doing in order to show his support for the people who have cared for him and his family throughout his long life. The mothers I wrote about lost everything and everyone in the war that was not of their making, Their only crime was to be born Jewish, but somehow they clung to the love of those they had lost and instilled it in their children, telling them not to hate. When one of the mothers was informed by her young son that he wanted to kill all Germans when he grew up, she told him, No, they took everything from us, but if you think like that, then they will also have taken your soul. Now that is a lesson in the purest kind of love. Question 3. The story of these women was only possible through the extreme evil and through immense kindness and generosity of strangers. How were you able to reconcile these opposites in your book? Well, of course, they will always be those who don't seem to have any love or compassion or kindness in them at all and appear to be full of pure evil. Men such as Dr. Joseph Mengele, the Angel of Death, who dispassionately examined the naked, terrified, shaven-headed women paraded before him at auschwitz to birkenau and asked them with a smile, Are you pregnant, pretty lady? The answer they gave decided their fate. Those who were visibly pregnant, or who answered that they were, perhaps in the hope that it might save them and their unborn children, were unceremoniously pulled from the line on his signal, "'a flick right or left of a large leather glove. "'Most of these hapless women were sent straight to the gas chambers, "'but the ones he thought might have an interesting genetic history "'were destined for his hospital wing "'and some of the cruelest experiments known to mankind. "'The nature of evil has long fascinated me, "'and I can't help but wonder what Mengele might have been like "'if the war hadn't happened. "'He was trained as a doctor, after all, and presumably at one time committed to caring for the sick. But he found himself in a situation where he was not only ob- only obsessed with his own self-importance as a geneticist, but in a position where, thanks to his eagerness to rise to great power, he was given, as he saw it, an unlimited number of human guinea pigs, people who would die anyway. At one point he c- could have stopped, at any point he could have stopped, walked away or shown compassion, but his ego got in the way and he became a monster instead. Then there is an ordinary man like Antonin Pavlicek, a white-haired station master in a sleepy Czech town largely untouched by the war. When in April 1945 a Nazi train of death pulled into his station ferrying some 3,000 half-dead men and women destined for the gas chambers, Mr Pavlichek risked his life repeatedly in demanding that the dead be properly buried and the living be given food and water. The SS commandant almost shot him on several occasions, but the station master persisted, rallying his townspeople to bake 3,000 bread rolls overnight, as well as large pots of potato soup which were fed to the starving, fearful prisoners, many of whom had been shown no compassion for years. The mothers in my book each benefited from something thanks to Mr Pavlochek, who then begged the commandant to leave the prisoners with him and wept as the train left his station, destined for the final concentration camp. Mr Pavlochek and Joseph Mengele represent good and evil to me, But it is possible that neither would have done what they did were it not for the circumstances they found themselves in. Dark and light, night and day. Sometimes one has to exist for the other to flourish. It is the greatest human dilemma. Question 4. What's the most valuable life lesson you've learnt? How did you come by it and what does it mean to you? The most valuable life lesson I've learnt is to look for the humanity in the inhumanity and remain optimistic in the face of whatever life throws at me. I came by these lessons from my parents who suffered great loss in their lives, but who never allowed it to defeat them. My father fought the Japanese in Burma and my mother lived through the London Blitz. She lost her fiancé in the war and my father's first wife died of typhoid fever but they were able to move past this and came to regard those tragedies as positives because without them they might never have met and had the four children they'd always wanted. Even when babies died along the way they persisted. Even when they suffered great hardship their light continued to shine on us all. They were happily married for 55 years and died just a few weeks apart. I know that for some people optimism is not a natural trait and they might feel they have nothing to be hopeful or optimistic about. Believe me, there have been times in my life that I too have lost my smile. But without sounding too corny, I hope, I'm constantly inspired and amazed by the resilience of the human spirit in the people I write about, especially those who lived through the war. How can I complain about anything when I think of what the three mothers went through? If I am cold, I imagine what it was like standing on a parade ground, on a bitter plain in Poland, in the winter of 1944, stark naked and terrified. As they stood there, waiting to be counted or picked out for death, they could see the chimneys of the crematoria belching smoke, and could smell the cloying smell as the ash of their loved ones settled on their skin. Imagine that. If I am hungry... I picture what it would be like to work 12 hours a day, seven days a week on a diet largely of water, so-called coffee for breakfast and supper, and a thin, clear broth for lunch. If my shoes pinch, I think of the women who died of frostbite in the bitterest winter in European history in 15 years because they didn't have any shoes, or of those who were given shoes that were too small and which created blisters that went untreated, never healed and ultimately gave them fatal sepsis. These women lived not from day to day, but from minute to minute in constant fear of their lives, of the lives of those they held dear, and most importantly of the tiny babies they carried secretly inside them, knowing that the moment their labour started they'd be exposed and that they and their infants would almost certainly be murdered. We cannot feasibly spend our lives reflecting constantly on the horrors that others went through, but it does help to think about it every so often. To use a hackneyed expression, we must count our blessings, for there are many, and we are blessed. And we don't even have to look back as far as World War II for those life lessons. We're surrounded by those less fortunate than ourselves. People who live in constant pain, who are paralysed physically or emotionally, the lonely, the depressed, the mentally unwell and those who live in fear of others close to them. If we can only try to retain an optimistic outlet and remember our own humanity as well as that in others, this may just be the most valuable life lesson we can not only learn but impart to others. Question 5. If you had one big idea to change the world, to make it a happier, healthier or better place, what would it be? My answer to this also goes back to my parents really and that is that to change the world we first have to change ourselves. They taught me to always try to be an inspiration to others in whatever I do. They taught me that life is full of beauty and to be cherished every day but it can also be very cruel and cut short at any moment. All of us will suffer pain and loss and despair but if we wake up each morning with the intention to be the person that make others smile when they even think about us, or that encourages them to be the best they can be, then our time on this earth won't have been wasted, and we will live on in others' hearts long after we are gone. We may not always succeed, but making the shift in ourselves might well trigger a shift in others, and the ripple effect will hopefully go on and on, paying it forward to continually relight the beacon of hope and positivity, it is the least we owe to those whose lives have been cruelly cut short.